This is the book of Acts, chapter 2, starting in verse 42, if you want to read along with me. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And also from Acts chapter 4, starting in verse 23. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant David, our father. Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his uh, anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel to this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hands to heal, perform the signs, wonders, through the name of your holy servant Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. All the believers were in one heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there was no needy person among them. From time to time, those who owned lands or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it all at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to anyone who had need. May God bless the reading of his word this morning. Amen. Well, this morning, I have the privilege of uh, finishing up the third of three sermons. Uh, in three weeks, we've been asking important questions about Hillcrest, about ourselves as a church. And um, we the questions are, who are we? That was the first week. And then the second week, where are we going? And then today, how are we going to get there? So let me recap a little bit. If you missed the last two weeks, this is my, my recap. Week one, we asked, who are we as a church? And we identified three core values that we as a church have demonstrated over the years that this is true of us. These core values are relational commitments that set us up for a great future if we continue to grow in them. The first one um, is personal engagement. Through the years, we've shown strength in the areas of personal engagement. So many of you are fully engaged in our mission. You're responsive to leadership initiatives and direction, and you engage so wonderfully with grace, love, and encouragement for each other as a church family. So high five, number one, in the area of personal engagement. Your personal engagement makes good things happen uh, through and at Hillcrest. The second one was we've always had a next-generation focus. I mean, that's true. You can tell that's true because we're here 98 years later. 1923, our church was, was founded, and we're still here. Next-generation focus means making 
significant sacrifices to disciple and empower and pass on passionate faith to the next generation. So Hillcrest, good job. High five number two for your focus on the next generations. Then the third one, we don't isolate or compete with other gospel churches or organizations, but we work interdependently with them. We deliberately choose kingdom unity, kingdom unity and impact. We want to be the kind of partners with other churches and Christian organizations that make the whole body of Christ stronger. And Hillcrest, you do that well. I love how you are confident in blessing and partnering with others in the kingdom. So high five, number three. And that's what week one was about. Three high fives, three things that are true about this church, strengths that we can build on. Week number two was last week. We talked about where are we going as a church. And we looked at Matthew 13's picture where Jesus describes the different soils and the farmer throwing the seed into the different soils. And he describes kingdom advancement as bringing in a greater harvest, a multiplied harvest, 30, 60, 100-fold is what he talks about. And so we, we know through what we've read that Jesus, through the Holy Spirit that is in his followers, is preparing disciples for a much greater harvest. And the question we must ask ourselves is, will Hillcrest play an increasingly effective role in bringing in that greater harvest. And I believe we will if, and here's the if, if we embrace the steps of seeing a greater harvest in faith. That's the first thing. We have to see it. We have to see what Jesus was talking about in faith. I believe we will see a greater harvest if we prepare the soil of people's hearts in prayer. I believe we will see a greater harvest if we cast seeds of the good news about Jesus generously through evangelism. And I believe we will see a greater harvest if we love and serve our neighbors and our city sacrificially. So as Hillcrest, we're committing ourselves to take four significant steps towards this goal of a greater harvest. One, we are and will be taking steps towards multiplication where we see the greater harvest and we plan for it in faith. Here's our statement about this. We desire to see every disciple making more disciples. We want to multiply leaders, multiply opportunities, multiply ministries, multiply groups, minimize spectators, and maximize what is easily reproducible. That's multiplication. Here's the second step. We are and will be taking steps to become a church of prayer, where through prayer we petition God to prepare much better soil in our hearts and in the hearts of those who don't yet know or follow Jesus. So our statement is, we desire to be a church of unceasing personal and concerted prayer, where hearing and obeying God's voice is normal for all believers. Here's the third step to see the greater harvest. We are and will be taking steps to start an evangelism movement where we equip more people to plant much more gospel seed into the lives of others. And here's our statement. We desire to see our world and people's lives transformed by the gospel through evangelism. Number four, we are and will be taking steps to develop our heart for the city so we are planting with much greater generosity and sacrificial love. 
And our statement is this. We desire to be in Moose Jaw's corner, fighting alongside and fighting for Moose Jaw, supporting, blessing, and serving its people individually and systematically. And here's the conclusion. We conclude that Jesus, the Lord of the harvest, deserves a visionary, prayerful, evangelistic group of gospel seed sowers that are here not for themselves, but for the people of this city and the surrounding area. And we intend on being that for him. That was last week. So if you missed those two weeks, you're, you're caught up. Now this week's question. How will we get there? It sounds ambitious, doesn't it? How will we get there? Well, there's lots of things that will come into the how we will get there, and some of those things we might not know yet. But there's three things that, three strategies that we are embracing that are anchors for us going forward. And these are what they are. Number one, excellence and relevance in programming and communication. Number two, a clear discipleship pathway. And number three, total dependence on the Holy Spirit. So how will we get there? Well, today we're going to look at the example of the early church. And Kurt was reading those verses for us out of Acts 2 and Acts 4. The first thing I want to share with you is Acts 2.42. Come back to that verse. It says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, sorry, putting those two words together, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. How will we get there? Well, by being devoted like the early church. They devoted themselves. You know, there's hundreds of things a church organization can do. But if we want to do something well, we have to devote ourselves and focus on those things. They should be the most relevant things that help us to accomplish the mission of Jesus in the world. That's what should have our priority. That's what should be our focus. You know, even the early church had to make some decisions about excellence and relevance in programming and communication. You say, the early church, they didn't have any programs. Well, actually, they did. Acts 6 tells us about it. It says, well, let me back it up a bit. Acts 6, we'll read it in a second. It said, they had a food program. Did you know that? A food distribution program that cared for many, but including widows. Widows were a big part of their food distribution program. But a problem arose. The Greeks, the Greek-speaking widows were being overlooked. So the apostles stepped in to make a tough call. Now, they could have just simply taken over that responsibility themselves. They could have just said, okay, we'll do that. But that would have hindered them from doing their other priorities. So here's what it says in Acts 6, 2-4. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word in order to wait on tables. Now, just in case you think they're saying waiting on tables is beneath us, that's not true. Jesus had taught his disciples that all leadership in the church is servant leadership. And, of course, he washed their feet to demonstrate that for them for all time. So if you're a leader in the church, waiting on tables is not beneath you. Washing people's feet is not beneath you. Nothing is beneath you because we're servant leaders if we're leaders in the church. So that's not what this is saying. But let's keep going. It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters... Choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. 
So it has a happy ending. They made the tough call and made, they made sure they didn't neglect the most vital things, the word and prayer, while finding a solution that made it possible to see things improve dramatically with the feeding program and empower new leaders to contribute. It was, it was a win-win. So they kept serving the body through the word and prayer, and here were seven new leaders who were empowered to serve the body by taking care of the Greek-speaking widows in the feeding program. So, but here's what I want to point out. I want to point out that they knew that there were certain things that were relevant to the church's mission that must not be neglected. That's their language. This must not be neglected. And those things they must give their attention to so that they could do them with excellence. They devoted themselves to some crucial things, and they made it important. So there, I would say that, you know, how are we going to get to our goal? Well, we have to be similarly devoted. Similarly devoted. But we have to devote ourselves to the things that really are going to accomplish the goals that Jesus accomplished Jesus' mission. So here's a statement that we've written uh, months ago, and we keep coming back to. We believe we are called to cut through the noise with clear and compelling communication of God's truth that brings the kingdom's power to the deepest felt needs in our culture and provide innovative programs that enable meaningful discipleship. We don't just dispense biblical truth. Rather, we try to create atmospheres that foster growing relationships where discipleship can happen. That's what Dave Moore was talking about up here. That was awesome. We need to work hard to become great hosts in person and online as well as use our facility wisely so that many needs can be met. So relevance and excellence, what does it mean? Relevance means do the right stuff. This demands prioritization of certain things over others, things that help us the most to accomplish the mission. And excellence means to do it well. Excellence is not perfection. Let's be clear about that. We're not going to get into perfectionism. But excellence is an aim to do our best, to evaluate uh, when things aren't as good as they should be, and to continually improve. We need to give things the attention that they deserve. So if you do the right stuff, but you do it poorly, it's not great. And if you do things with excellence, but it's not the right stuff, that's not great. We need to bring both of these things together. They need to be the right stuff and done well. So are we doing and are we devoted to the most relevant things towards seeing all people reconciled to God and mature in Christ? That's a question that we'll have to keep wrestling with as we go forward. Are we doing the right things and are we doing it with excellence? So we need to make the tough calls so that we can. So we learned the early church was devoted, but what were they devoted to? Back to the same verse, Acts 2.42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. So for us, we're introducing the second value, a clear, or the second uh, way we're going to get there, a clear discipleship pathway. Did you know that the Christians in the book of Acts were known as people of the way? Did you know that? Anyone, does that, anyone sort of knew that? People of the way? Long, long, long before you could watch on Disney Plus, the Mandalorian say, this is the way, Christians were known as people of the way. In fact, it shows up at least five times. I found it five times in the book of Acts. Maybe it's more. 
But Acts 9-2, Saul, who's persecuting the church, said he was looking for any there, he went to Damascus, any there who belonged to the way. That's how they were known, the people who belonged to the way. And then in Acts 22.4, this, this is Saul after he's become Paul, and now he's a follower of Jesus. He says, I persecuted the followers of the way to their death. And he's saying this to, I think, Felix, the king Felix, or Felix and Felix, who's a leader, in, who's not a Christian. He says, oh, I'm familiar with the way. It shows up about five times, in, in, at least in, in the book of Acts, this being people of the way. So it's not strange for us to talk about a discipleship pathway. The, the Christians were known as people who were people of the way. There was a way. There was a pathway. There was a, there was a journey that they were all taking as followers and disciples of Jesus. And so we wanted to create a clear discipleship pathway here at Hillcrest. Here's our statement. Our discipleship pathway is a simple but comprehensive spiritual journey where everyone can find their next step to becoming a disciple who makes disciples. We know that discipleship is complex and that everyone is on their own journey, but believe that these are the big categories of discipleship. We believe that if someone fully participated in this pathway at Hillcrest, that they'd be well on their way to being mature in Christ. So our discipleship pathway has five categories. Celebrate big, connect small, walk with Jesus, share the work, and engage in mission. And let me try to roll through this quickly with you. Acts 2, 46, and, and uh, the first part of the verse says, Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. Uh, there was over 3,000 of them in Jerusalem at that time, because on the day of Pentecost, thousands got saved. So there's over 3,000 Christians in Jerusalem, so they would come together in the, in the temple courts, the only place they probably could meet and have that many people. Acts 4, 24 says, They raised their voices together in prayer to God. Acts 4.32 says all the believers were in one heart and mind. The early church practiced togetherness, but they practiced it in a big way, right? Have you ever, how many of you have ever been in some super big gathering of Christians where it was like 3,000 people at least? Has anyone ever experienced that, right? So some of you, maybe you've been to some big gathering in a stadium or some mega church somewhere. They practiced a big togetherness. And we believe that we're called as a church to celebrate big. We believe in celebrating the glory of God together in big gatherings. Here's our statement. Like the early church, we emphasize the necessity of big gatherings for preaching, teaching, worship, prayer, and communion to encounter God. Celebrating big includes committing to attend church as much as possible in person or, if necessary, online. And this is where the whole church gets to celebrate people going public with their faith. I love when we have baptisms or when, uh, and, and people are saying, I, you might not have known it before, but now you know I belong to Jesus. I love when we have uh, parents who are committing to raise their, um, their children in the teachings of Jesus, committing to raise their children to have the opportunity to know the Lord and embrace him. I love those things that we do in a big way together. And so that's the first part of our discipleship pathway is, is celebrating big. And maybe there's a step on that in any of these five that I'm rolling out right now. There's, maybe there's steps in there that you're going to take this year. You're going to grow in, in some of these areas. So it's remarkably simple, but committing to be at church as much as you can, whenever the, the church is gathering, is, is a huge foundation to discipleship. We think big togetherness 
or celebrating big is essential. But we also think that small togetherness, choosing to deliberately connect with a small group of people for discipleship, like Dave was talking about, that's also essential. Acts 2.46b says they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. This is just after they said they met in the temple courts. They also broke bread in their homes. And now, their homes were not as big as probably our homes would be. There's no way 3,000 people are going to pack into those homes. These were smaller gatherings. But this, was, um, this is what they were devoted to. This is what they did. This was the way of the believers. So they met and ate together in homes. And here's our statement about connecting small. That's what we're calling it. Celebrate big, connect small, particularly in groups. Hillcrest groups are meant to be disciple-making groups where someone cares about and supports your spiritual growth. So I want you to think about that. Maybe you're trying to follow Jesus and you're struggling in it. Who isn't? What's the secret? What's the secret to winning in that way? Well, as Dave was saying, if you want to do the one another's, if you want to win in those ways, you need encouragement. You need support. You need people who stand with you. And that's what our groups exist to do, is to support you in your spiritual growth. We want you to win in following Jesus. And our groups are going to be focused on doing that. And, in, and we're going to grow in that focus as we go forward. So I encourage you, join a group. I mean, there's lots of reasons to join a group. I think a lot of people who are in a group during COVID season were healthier at the end of COVID season. So I'd encourage you just for that reason. But I'd also, this is about you following Jesus and people supporting you in, in doing that. So if you're going to take steps to follow him, uh, it would be great to have people who encourage you, who check in on you, and care about your spiritual growth. So join a group. Maybe you're in a group and you say, well, I, I'm going to learn to facilitate a group. That's maybe your step of growth this year. Or maybe you're going to start a group from scratch. You say, I know some people who would, who'd be great to be in a group together. We're just going to, and none of them are in a group. And so you'll get that going. Well, then I encourage you to do those things. That's connecting small. Here's the third one. Acts 4.33b says, And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all. I love this statement. There was a powerful work of God's grace going on inside of each one of these Christians. That's amazing. And they wouldn't have all been on the same place in their journey with Christ. I mean, some of them would have been like with Jesus through all of his teaching years, like the apostles, and they, they would have had a lot longer journey with him. Then there would have been people who uh, maybe started following him soon after the crucifixion. There definitely would have been followers who didn't see the crucifixion and just heard about it secondhand. Uh, and there would be some who witnessed the resurrection, but there would be some who hadn't seen the resurrection. There was all, and some might have been just, you know, some are just following Jesus for the first time today. Like, they just started on this path, and some have been on the path for a while. Well, they're all experiencing a powerful work of God's grace in their lives. So you might be at the stage of just exploring Christianity right now. You're like, I'm curious. I want to know what this is all about. That's why I'm coming to church, or that's why I'm watching online. I'm just sort of curious about Christianity. How does, it, how does this following Jesus that you're talking about, how does it actually work? What's it about? Or you might be a Christian who needs things to get fresh again in your life. You need a refreshing. You need, a, you need personal renewal in your life. Maybe that's where you're at. Maybe that's your walk with Jesus, your next steps. Or you might realize that you need to get greater traction in practicing spiritual disciplines in your life. 
We believe no matter what stage you're at, wherever you are on the pathway, that God wants his grace working powerfully in you. That's his design. And we want to encourage and support you as you walk with Jesus so that you can experience his grace at work powerfully within you. So that's, a, that's the third one. Here's the fourth one. Acts 4.32, all the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. So they shared the same heart, the same mind, and their possessions. Like, that's a pretty amazing bond that they had. And let me share one more verse. This is from two weeks ago. It was our key verse in the first week of this series. Ephesians 4, 16, it says, From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. As each part does its work. So we believe in sharing the same heart, same mind. I mean, just the heart of Christ, the mind of Christ. Sharing possessions, wow. But sharing the work. Sharing the work, as each part does its work. We believe that God has uniquely given every Christian spiritual gifts to help advance the kingdom of God. And that kingdom advances as each part does its work. So we want to help people discover, how are they gifted? You're unique. God's given, put things in you for others. So we want to know that. We want to help you know that. It's more important that you know than I know it. How are you gifted? How are you gifted to contribute? So, finding those things out and then finding a team that you can serve with uh, through Hillcrest. Um, if you come to membership class today, we have a membership class that we've got the meal, grab your food, and you can join us in the prayer room. And uh, myself and elders will be there to do a membership class today. We're, we're curious about people. How has God made them? What makes them tick? And where are they going to be able to contribute the best? So it's all part of sharing the work. Here's the fifth one on the discipleship pathway. Acts 4.33. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So it's engage in mission. Engage in mission. So they were seeing people come to know Jesus. And, you know, a few years ago, we had a really frank talk as a church. We, we had about 100 leaders come together, and we just said, you know what? We're not seeing as many people come to know Jesus as we'd like to see. And at that meeting, people threw out suggestions and ideas. That was, one, that was the meeting where Alpha got put on the table, and we, we embraced that, and we've been running with that. There's been great results out of that. Um, we started last year. We had sling training start. Both those things, by the way, they kick off. Um, uh, when did they kick off? It's Tuesday the... 26th. They both kick off on Tuesday, 26th. They've been incredible good programs for helping people to either learn to share their faith or to bring a friend to share a meal, to talk about things of faith where no questions off the table and you won't be, you know, there's, no, there's nothing you can't ask. They've been great for developing more and more of an evangelistic heart within our congregation. So here's our statement. It says, we're called to take the good news to the world letting it influence our families, workplaces, and neighborhoods. We're in, we are invited to give our time and our money that we would invest in things that last. This includes building into kingdom initiatives through our own local church and beyond. So we endeavor to live a lifestyle that matches the gospel, to serve with local and global mission partners and practice generous giving to see the mission accomplished. 
All right. So we said to, we're going to get, where, how are we going to get there? Well, first by being devoted, right? We, we want to be devoted. We want to be focused on the things that really advance the mission and do them with excellence. And then by being discipled. By being discipled. To, to, what is a disciple? A disciple is one who obeys teach, Jesus' commands. Right? So the, no wonder they were so devoted to the apostles' teaching because they were like, tell us, what did Jesus command you to do? What were the things he was saying? And they were downloading this teaching or, or passing on this teaching to these, these other people, and they're saying, oh, okay, so I got to obey that. I got to walk in that. I got to take this next step to become a disciple of Christ. So the early church, they, they advanced because they were devoted. They, they, they embraced being discipled. And here's the last one. Here's the last one. Total dependence on the Holy Spirit. Total dependence on the Holy Spirit. Here's our statement. We recognize that none of this is possible without the work of the Holy Spirit in us. And we confess our continual need of the Holy Spirit's direction and empowerment and believe that holding to this strategic anchor reminds us no matter what project we're working on, meeting we're in, or ministry that we're a part of, that we need to seek his leading and infilling through prayer. Here's some questions I've been sort of asking myself in the last number of months. Is how we do ministry here at Hillcrest, is it creating a dependence on man? I mean, if you come to church and you get encouraged because, you know, I've had a spiritual experience or something in my life, is that creating a dependence? Are you sort of like, well, I'm living vicariously through that guy? You're meant to experience God's grace powerfully at work in you. You're, you're, you're meant to uh, not live in dependence on man, but dependence on God. And so I've been asking, are we doing things in such a way that we create a dependence on the man of God? Or are we doing things in such a way that we're creating a dependence on the God of man? See, I think church leadership's job is to equip followers of Jesus to be the church. Equipped to live the adventure as a follower of Jesus, not just to spectate and not just to uh, uh, be encouraged that it's happening somewhere else. But that God would do a vital work in each one of our lives and that we would experience the adventure of being followers of Jesus in real time, obeying what he commands and going on a faith journey that is like no other's. So are we creating dependence on human leaders or are we creating disciples of Jesus? Let me just, I want to read to you Acts 4 and uh, the, the Acts 4 passage again. The context is they've just been uh, told by the religious leaders that dominated uh, Israel at that time in Jerusalem. They said, don't speak in the, about this Jesus anymore. And they said, well, you know, are we supposed to obey God or man? Like, should we be listening to you? No, we think we're going to listen to God, right? Basically, they say, no. No, we're going to listen to God no matter what the consequences are. No, the consequences were severe. They'd been beaten. Uh, it's, no one's been killed yet, but that's coming. That's coming. For many of the, for at least 11 of the 12 disciples were martyred, and, uh, and maybe even 12. 
So here's where they come back to the, they come back to the gathering of the, people, of the church, and they say, it says, on their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. And this is what David, they're quoting David from the Old Testament. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. And just pause for a second. Uh, I like that word conspire. It's a word that gets thrown around a lot lately. Well, people talk about conspiracies. Is this a conspiracy? Is that a conspiracy? Uh, people do actually conspire to do evil things. And in this case, there was a, this was no theory. This was reality. That there were those who had conspired, and I, I believe under the influence of evil spiritual forces, against Jesus. Against Jesus when he was there in the flesh. Against the message of Jesus going out. Against the followers of Jesus. Against anything connected with Jesus. There were those who were conspiring to stop that, to end that, to delete that. And so they said, well, look at this. Here's the people in power. Here's the people with authority to arrest us and imprison us, beat us, kill us. And they've said, no more Jesus. No more Jesus. No more talking about Jesus. No more doing anything in the name of Jesus. And so they lay it on the line. They say, Lord, this is not new. David in Psalm 2 was writing about this. He's writing about this, that the nations, the, the, the evil forces have always tried to, to hinder what God wants to do in the world. And so what was their response? They said, well, we're going to quit. No. See, they knew something. They knew something. It's actually, I just read it to you. It's in there. I love it. Why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain? In vain. See, this is what they knew. Through, in faith, they knew that Jesus had said the church would be an unstoppable church, an overcoming church, that the gates of hell would not be able to stand against David knew it way back when, in the days of, uh, of ancient Israel. They must have known it, the Israelites. They kept winning battles. There's no, they had no business winning. They knew if you stood with God, you're in the right place. Didn't mean, you'd be, didn't mean you wouldn't die. Didn't mean you wouldn't face persecution. Didn't mean, mean there wouldn't be hardship. Didn't mean any of those things. But they knew that the cause of God, the cause of Christ, was unstoppable in the world. 
So those that were conspiring and trying to bring all their power and influence and effort to delete Jesus from the, from the, the, the landscape, what they were doing was in vain. They were not going to succeed. Jesus had already guaranteed that that would not be successful. And so that was huge good news for the church, that early church. They said, they are conspiring. They are planning evil. They are, you might feel that about our world today. You can see pockets of here and there. and there. I think they're conspiring. I think they're conspiring. I think there's some stuff at foot. Here's your encouragement. It's in vain. It's in vain. Jesus is building an overcoming church, and he's been building it now for 2,000 years. And all the conspiracy, all the power that man can bring, all the strategy and ways that they can try to stifle that and snuff it out, it's in vain. It's in vain. So that's the good news. But I want to give you a caution as well. I want to bring bring Psalm 127.1. Unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord washes over the city, the guards stand watch in vain. So the good news is the forces that are arrayed against the church, arrayed against the message of Jesus, the person of Jesus, Jesus being glorified and receiving all that he deserves, they will not succeed. But here's the other thing, and it's a caution for the church. If we, as a church, make clever strategies... Write vision papers. Say we're going to do this or that. And we don't depend on the empowerment of the Holy Spirit and the direction of the Holy Spirit in our lives. It's in vain. We need the Holy Spirit in our lives. We need the the direction. We need his empowerment. We need him. And so this is how I want to end things today. I want to end just inviting you to consider. I want you to invite, just to consider this. If what, if I just continue as I am, and I'm, these three weeks, three weeks, sorry, of of talking about who we are and where we're going and how we're, we're going to get there, they're so that we can shift so that we can change, so that we can see the greater harvest that Jesus talks about, so that we can see the 30, the 60, and the 100-fold, so that we can be part of that overcoming church. Not every church that exists today will be part of that overcoming church tomorrow because lots will not depend on the Holy Spirit. They'll just do things in their own scheming, in their own plan, and they'll just be like those who conspire in vain. And we don't want to be that. So my question for you is this, is when you look at, so sometimes when we make big vision, you say, man, that's too painful. I can't change that much. Listen, there's no way any of us are getting there unless we depend on the Holy Spirit's work in our lives. When you look back in history and you see great move of God's happening, they usually are preceded by great work moves of prayer. People just coming before God and saying, without you, God, these things are impossible, but with you, all things are possible. 
And so people have come before God and say, I, I can't change that much. I can't shift that much. I'm already in a rut that's so deep I can't. You know what? You're just called to do the next thing God's asking you to obey. You're called to do the next thing he's calling you to obey. And there's, I mean, I look at the teachings of Jesus. I see several things in the teachings of Jesus that are impossible to obey unless he empowers you. You're going to bless those who curse you. Pray for those who despitefully used you. You're going to love your enemies. You're going to rejoice in suffering. Impossible, 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 impossible things. But he's God. And so all the things that are impossible, he turns into possibilities in our lives when we lean into him and when we depend on him. I'm going to invite you to stand here as we end our time together. Here's a song. We're going we're gonna to sing this song. It's asking God to do what he's done again and again and again. In the life of our church, in 98 years, he's done again and again. There's been moves of God that have happened in our church in 98 years. There's been things that have happened. You know, but you know what they started with? They started with some pretty hungry people, with some pretty desperate people, with some people who said, nothing's going to happen unless we cry out to God. Nothing's going to happen unless we go before God and say, we need you, we need you, every hour we need you. Our clever plans, our clever strategies, all those things, God can give you those things. Those are great, but we need you. God, we want to be in partnership with you, not just in partnership with ourselves. And so I'm going to just invite you to sing the song. And maybe you want to take a a step as an act of faith. Maybe you want to just come up to the front and sing this song. It's a a prayer. God, would you do what you are famous for doing throughout history? And would you do it in our day? And would you do it in Hillcrest? And would you do it in Moose Jaw? And would you do the things in my heart? Would you make the shifts and the change in my heart? Would you empower me to do those things? Would you fill me with your spirit in a fresh way? so that I can be used of you. That's the response today. If you want to come and join me at the front in crying out to God for our future as a church, I would love that. But let's, let's sing this song together as a prayer for our hearts, asking the Lord of the harvest to make us the kind of laborers in the harvest that can bring in a much, much greater harvest than we've seen before.
Stop. 